Welcome back to the Before You Die podcast, where every week we watch a movie from the 1001 movies to watch before you die list and give our opinion on whether or not we think it's worth your time. My name is Craig, and as usual, I'm joined by James and Gavin, and this week we're discussing the 1995 action crime drama, Heat. In this movie, master criminal Neil McCauley, played by Robert De Niro, is trying to control uh, rogue sections of one of his men, uh, while also planning one last big heist before retiring. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Hannah, played by Al Pacino, attempts to track down McCauley as he deals with the chaos in his own life, including the infidelity of his wife and the mental health of his stepdaughter. McCauley and Hannah discover mutual respect even as they try to thwart each other's plans. You know, we're sitting here, you and I like a couple of regular fellas. I mean, you do what you do, I do what I gotta do. And now that we've been face to face, if I'm there and I gotta put you away, I won't like it. But I'll tell you, if it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're gonna turn into a widow, brother, you are going down. There's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in and I gotta put you down? Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. We've been face to face, yeah. But I will not hesitate, not for a second. So what did everyone think of? What do you think, gents? You wanna go first, Gav? Yes, well, is is a weird one, I think, for people because I know some people think it's a bit unwieldy and a little bit messy, a bit clunky, um, but I think what everyone kind of, the, let's be honest, the main reason people were attracted to in the first place is Pacino, De Niro facing off finally and kind of seeing that. That's what and Bill does really. Pretty much, yeah. It was almost like a gr- like this the ultimate dream match. That's super. That's super. T- it's like we. I know with boxers, a lot of times they say it never happens in their prime. It always happens in their their later years. And to an extent, it does happen. But I actually think this is probably the best performance by both of them. The last thirty years. They were very good at. It, yeah, I thought. I know De Niro. I actually really like De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook. But I don't think I've seen him. I don't think he was as good in that as he was in Heat, and I don't think Al Pacino has been probably this good since the late eighties. De Niro kind of went a bit weird after a while, especially in in recent years with things like Meet Grunchy the Parents. comedies, and, Dirty Grandpa. Like, what is he doing? Like I don't understand. Maybe he's just said fuck it. I'm, I'm gonna do whatever I want. Screw yeah. you guys. And Nothing left to prove. I think he's just trying out. Just he <laughs> yeah, he's looking at scripts. He's he's seeing stuff that's fun. He did that at the intern recently as well, which got good ratings with uh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. But to be um, fair, when I hear De Niro is facing off with Anne Hathaway, <laughs> does not have to say that De Niro and Zac Efron. No, but De Niro yeah. and Pacino together, first, yeah. first, well, first time on screen together. I know they were both in Godfather 2, but no scenes together. So I do think that's probably the main selling point. But actually, to be fair, I don't know where you stand, but I think casts in general like everyone I love Tom Sizemore Val Kilmer um, Dennis Haybert there was a quality to it yeah it's, just, it's a pretty solid mm. solid cast alright even though I should I would have imagined that this film was very difficult to craft based on the sprawling amount of cast there were mm. and how there were very very small roles which kind of intersected with the titans like Pacino and De Niro which actually held a lot of merit in their own right as actors. Mm. Um, but somehow you had to squeeze 
justice to each of those performances in this massive sprawling crime epic because it is very sprawling it goes all over the place actually when i first saw it i found it very difficult to watch yeah. um i had to watch it a few times to get it to sink in really mm. and it was kind of like reading a very complex book and one of those books that more the more you read the more you appreciate and then you become a fan i wasn't a fan when i first watched this film i i watched it for pacino for de niro Pretty much for Pretty that much scene every, yeah, where they yeah. sit in the cafe mm-hmm. and they, they kind of, in a very understated way, face off against each other and figure each other out a bit. Um, but I, I found the cast to be very good, very high quality. Like, the choices were, were brilliant. Like, I'm glad that Val Kilmer played his character in this film. I'm glad that it wasn't Johnny Depp or Keanu, uh, Reeves. Keanu Reeves who was originally meant to be in it. But it was a very good combination of actors and they all played their roles very well. You got this, you knew who the, the cops were. You knew who the robbers were, yeah. basically, and you knew who, where the kind of people caught in the aftermath stood. And I think that uh, the reason that they're probably so, other than the writing and the direction, I think the reason you can tell the difference so well is because Michael Mann put a lot of effort uh, before the movie into making sure that the the ones who were playing like the villains and the ones who were playing the the cops, like they they got training, they got like arms training, weapons training. Uh, the cops went. For dinner with like real cops and detectives and stuff like that and they they went to certain restaurants where cops would meet up with like informants or uh like actual criminals where they they talk to them like that what happens in the movie like that that showdown between De Niro and Pacino like apparently that was kind of a, a normal thing that would yeah, happen yeah it's based on a Chicago uh, cop yeah. and the guy Neil McCauley like yeah. that name is yeah it's the yeah. actual criminal and he this guy did sit down and yeah. speak to him, and I think he ended up shooting him on someone's driveway. He ended up, yeah. So there's, there's a so there was a procedural element to how the cast were built, which yeah. is quite cool. And you, I think you actually see that in the way they act and how comfortable they seem to be in those roles. Like not one um, of the actors in that, in this film seems to act out of place. They all have a purpose. Like <clears throat> from a social point of view, in terms of the romance elements. That's something you can just easily simulate, but I think where they're doing like there's the the scene at the very beginning or towards the very beginning where um, Al Pacino's character is kind of scoping out this the the first kind of um, the security van heist where he's kind of talking and he's asking all these questions and his team are around him, like you can almost forget that was Al Pacino and that could be a cop. He's like a direct, mm. he's a detective. He's direct. He's looking yeah. at the scene. He's picking out the the elements to start the investigation which is really cool not the first time we see Albertino first time we see Albertino is a sex scene yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, him and his gold chain totally unnecessary <laughs> like, hands down I have to say hands down I love Albertino and Robert De Niro I have crazy amounts of respect for them but neither of them can do any form of romance yeah it or anything weird, isn't it? yeah like I just oh man the sex scene in the beginning was uh, was interesting <laughs> uh, extremely awkward like Al Pacino just it's like they both of them malfunction when they have to enter into a scene where they have to do something other than well, see, I think shout it, I think it works for it works yeah. for Robert De Niro he's supposed to be a lone wolf he's not used to dealing with yeah. women especially in a romantic way 
Whereas Al Pacino's been married three times and <laughs> I don't know, he sucks the face off them and yeah. he's he still wears his gold it's chain around aggressive. his neck in bed and then the next scene is him in, in the shower, which I can only assume was like, you don't want this gold chain, baby? <laughs> he goes into the shower and masturbates furiously. <laughs> him and his gold chain. But, that was uh, a scene that was cut from the original film. Michael Manchester um, was too authentic. I, I, <laughs> how, do you, how do you fall on Pacino though these days? Do you think Pacino is this over the top kind of almost without even being comedic actor he's yeah. almost a joke I do I really do like I mean I have actively avoided most Al Pacino films in the last that, that have been made in the last like 15-20 years obviously Scarface is like great film he, he acted it so well but I think he just became like parody almost a, yeah parody of himself it's kind know. of actually strange because it almost is a few actors pre-parody like Tom Sizemore who was literally grown in size takes his name seriously Um, he's, got, he's had sex tapes he's been <laughs> involved with like prostitution and drugs then you have uh, but this is him before so he literally was like this skeezy kind of sleazy he played that role he mm-hmm. became that you had Robert De Niro who's now become a parody of himself Let's be honest, like Dirty Grandpa. Pacino's become a parody. Danny Trejo, his was was a badass in this film, but he was a parody. He's he just plays a parody. himself. Plays yeah. himself, but then he became a parody of himself. It's a lot of actors before they kind of. Yeah, he used to be a serious mm, badass. Now he sells now old El Paso. A, yeah. <laughs> now he does stuff like like machete and that. Like which I mean, in their own right, own merit. Yeah, yeah, they had they have their their audience, but I get what you're saying. So I uh, do you feel like I didn't. I need, I need to say, I need to get off my chest, but I need to say a bit more how uncomfortable I feel with the love scenes in this film. And we talked about Al Pacino's, like, god-awful naughty bit at the beginning, but the Robert De Niro stuff, where he's on... He's talking about being lonely with Edie on, like, that verge. He's like, I want to go to Fiji and like, iridescent algae. and all that. that was his romance pitch. But, like, he has exactly the same kissing style. Like, he just... But it's almost violent. Envelops like, yeah. He grabs her. Like, all you can see is, like, bits of these women's hair when they completely envelope <laughs> them. Um, it's like, there's a movie called Beastmaster, which I remember from a kid, where, like, there's this, like, it's like a like a flappy creature that just wraps itself around you and, and starts, like, sucking life out of you. Um, that's exactly how Robert De Niro kisses women. Quite like, a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Amy Brenneman, she's just vanished into him. We were, like, we are talking about a thing in the last episode, like, there's similarities there. Um, but Robert De Niro consumed that woman in that film. <laughs> she didn't act after that. No, I'm sure she did, but... Like, it took years of terrible... Her life was never the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's just awkward, and it's funny how, like, no matter how excellent an actor you can be, um, and I do consider Al Pacino and Robert De Niro to be excellent actors in their own rights, uh, sometimes you get ones which are great but just can't do one type of acting yeah. and I think both of them are unified in but that there's a, in there's a scene in, um, in Heat as well where he's I don't know what he's trying to do but there's, it, remember the prostitute was killed by Wayne girl yeah. and his her mother is like that's my baby whatever oh, yeah. he just kind of grabs her and doesn't say anything he yeah. just looks her in the eyes real wide eyed like Ooh, you know, he's just yeah. like, hey, what do you do? He grabs her and he's like, I don't know what he's fumbles and then he, he just consumes her, her, her again and he's like holding on. And I'm like, is he is he putting her in a chokehold? Is <laughs> yeah. he trying to like rent her? Yeah. There's no way that she knows he's a police officer. <laughs> also, just, that's what he said at the very end. He um, he has no idea because he obviously just wears the black suit. Yeah. He turns to a, a police officer and just says, give me that shotgun. And he goes, yes, sir. <laughs> like, Pacino demands and Pacino gets it. The thing is, Pacino came up to me and said, give me that shotgun. Even if I didn't have a shotgun, I'd do everything I could to produce I'm one. I'm sure he'd cock an invisible one and threaten you with it. Give me that shotgun you got in your hand there. 
Because that's Chipuccino's way, I'm telling you. That yeah. guy is on, gone yeah. off the edge. Yeah. But, um, yeah, back to Heat, though. I, how like how do you think then, Jen, like, obviously the cast, I don't think there's really a weak link to the cast. Maybe no. Amy Brennerman, like, not really too... She was very passive, though, wasn't she? Like, mm. she just... She was just she blew. Can was I leave now? It's like... Yeah. It's a very throwaway character. It's not... Well, see, the problem is, like, I don't know if you know, like, this was originally developed as a TV series. So, uh-huh. this was going to be an hour and a half pilot. So, I honestly think, watching it now, and I was saying this last night, especially in the age we're in now, if this was a six-part TV show, six hours it would have been absolutely incredible yeah, now i really yeah. love heat so whatever but I, I know i know where people say oh it's, it's a bit clunky so for example people have a problem with we don't really know anything about val kilmer's character he's cool he's a badass but mm. we get yeah, one scene at home then dennis haysbert haybert who is the ex-con who's released gets what three scenes and just takes that job on whatever and then he's like yeah, I'll yeah, do it. yeah he's a cook killed. and then all of a sudden and we meant to care then that he gets killed whereas you feel i feel like if they were if they were able to expand on this a lot more it's the small or even natalie portman i feel like her biggest problem is her dad didn't show up one day and now i know it's probably one of, it's obviously she doesn't do it a lot but three scenes we see her where are my barrettes and then my dad didn't turn up next scene oh she's in the bathtub after trying to commit suicide yeah i think there's a bit well, another one in between a way like Vincent's like driving and he, yeah, she's, she's on a bench, bench and you're yeah. like hey sweetie get in the car blah 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 and then it, it goes from there but I, I the characters themselves so Pacino and De Niro like I know we talk a lot about them but I think the film is very much about them and then how their lives work almost antagonistically so they're two sides of the same coin really as characters like Hannah and Macaulay they have very differing perspectives on life but I think they're the same person like Vincent's trying to be this family man and to kind of live a some semblance of normality but he's continuously almost willingly on the trail of people like Macaulay whereas Macaulay's like I just want I don't have much purpose in my life the score is my life everything I do is is based on the score who then has that turnaround with Edie and he's like I actually don't want this life anymore I want to have some semblance of normality and they're just really bad at doing some, anything yeah. else yeah and but the they even say that I couldn't do anything else the post them saying yeah. I could not do anything yeah, else and they wouldn't want to either mm-hmm. kind of. so they're kind of both fooling themselves in a way and they're um, both former marines as well I think that was supposed to be expanded on as well because you see Al Pacino's character mentions it at one point pretty sure but you see Robert De Niro's character uh, when he gets out of bed after being with Edie the first night you see the marine tattoo on his yeah. I think it's on his arm. So that actually makes sense what you were saying. If it was supposed to be a TV show, like a six-parter or something like that. Because there seems to be a lot of elements thrown in where they just tried to advance but the like character if you, if a little you bit. Put it this way, if you were to frame it as a HBO TV show, now I think, put it this way, like if the actors did even this caliber, this is to be made now, they would do TV. If Michael Mann said, I'm doing a six-part TV show and it was like two yeah. of the biggest current, like say DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and that was the two, they'd do it because... There's a certain prestige now with TV. I don't think it existed in in '95, so no. his only option was if I want this caliber of talent, I want this budget, I have to do it as a as a film, and that's mm. what he did. And I think what happens is he does. Now, don't get me wrong. He goes for the important stuff. He does explore Macaulay, and he explores Hannah, and he explores them well. But I think the characters around him and what makes them those people, and what makes the film kind of kick what makes a movie mm. he doesn't explore and that, that's fine because obviously it is a character study of the two men but I think as a, as a film as a, as something that's more rewarding by exploring someone like Dennis Hayward's character even like put it this way if it was a six part series the first episode would have had the first heist and it really would have grabbed you like oh my god this is amazing you would have seen this second episode would have been introduction to Al Pacino how he works brilliant yeah. third would have been 
the kind of crew dynamic the fourth is when they kind of when they finally find out that they're being watched they find out of each other and you're like oh my god it's crazy fifth one that big massive heist sixth one is the escape and as a piece it would have been absolutely incredible Mm. but they didn't have that luxury so it's hard to kind of it's hard to criticize him for dropping certain elements like well we can't do too much about Val Kilmer's home like we can't do too much about Dennis Hayward we can't do too much yeah. about uh, the film and that's the problem and I, I think I can understand when people say that would be a criticism because that you are missing that like why yeah. like why should we care when Dennis Hayward dies why should we care when Tom Sizemore dies yeah even the um, the, the, the police chief is he or is it Al Pacino's partner Bosco Bosco yeah like he gets shot and you're just yeah. it's a really quick like half a second yeah, sitting in the break. neck right yeah, yeah. Somewhere mm-hmm. and, and you can tell that um, he was gone. really close to him because he says to his wife why didn't you why didn't you go home with Bosco right. which obviously means like he's the one who says if my wife wants needs to go home he's the one who's going to take care of because we're best friends yeah. but you don't really get that no or the fact yeah. that Val Kilmer even though um, Rob Tenor says you need to better drop things and in 30 seconds forget about it he was he lets Val Kilmer stay at his house he walks in. Now, even though like he, you think he'd always be on edge, he sees Valkyrie asleep and he goes, this isn't, it seems like it's normal. Mm-hmm. Or when Valkyrie is dying on the street, he picks him up and drags him yeah. at the risk of his own life because he wants to save Chris. And you don't know why. Why does he care so much about Chris? Because there's no real kind of, there's no real relationship moments between Chris and um, Neil. Yeah. And there's not really any relationship moments between Chris and his wife except for them having a absolute scream battle and waking up their kid. Right. And then you don't know why she says at the end, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna warn Chris. Because we don't know now. We don't know what part of their relationship is good because the He's only so times bad. we see her cheating on him yeah. and we see him screaming and smashing stuff. Yeah. What do we, like? What have we seen between these two? It's like, and it's only, you one. don't even know if they're married either because that's, that's yeah, never yeah. mentioned. They, yeah. don't, they don't talk about it. And yeah. you only see really one positive aspect and that's just preceding that tantrum Val Kilmer has... Uh, when oh um, yeah she's to, yeah yeah <laughs> they're talking about oh yeah I've paid off some of what I owe to this bookie you know like it's like, like what the hell's going yeah, on the here? positivity apart from the kid which yeah. seems to be telling him. but that's what I mean I think um I think if they're able, more able to explore I think as a as a kind of piece of narrative fiction I think it would have been brilliant because you would have had all these different mm. elements around and then you kind of would have got a sense of what um, Robert De Niro for example is not having so when he there's a scene where you do it like, to be fair I think Robert De Niro does it well because with what little he has to do I think you know a lot about Robert De Niro I think when he's at the dinner table and he's looking at everyone with their wives and their girlfriends and their kids and he's like I'm going to go ring Edie mm. and I think that works or when he sees um Val Kilmer it's not because he says anything but he silently you know he cares for Val Kilmer Chris's yeah. character yeah. but I just like to I just personally like to know more about these characters because I think if they got Robert De Niro so interesting and they've had Val Pacino so interesting surely they could have had that level of interest in the other characters which I don't think they that might actually explain why when I first saw this film I didn't think it was all that based on <clears throat> the recommendations that other people because other people had said this is a freaking awesome movie you gotta go and watch this it's great and I watched it and that might have been the why initially I was like I'm, I'm not I don't get it like why is this mm, so yeah. good because there's a lot of things that gaps I have to fill in here and then you go back and there's a little bit more of a on face value there's a little bit more of a trail of like storylines and plot and character moments and yeah. development but you have to really watch it like 
minute by minute and p- pick those out and then make those connections mm. afterwards or as you're watching. But I think, do you think it would have worked as a TV show? I think, oh, I'm envisioning like yeah. something like Narcos, like, yeah, or like that True kind of Detective. Quality, like, yeah. yeah. Like if you have, like that was a $60 million budget and I know for a fact that Game of Thrones for example has a bigger budget. So if you had a $60 million budget now and you had the actors of that caliber and Michael Mann working at the peak of his powers, I can't see why I wouldn't. Like it's, it's not big special effects driven film anyway so a lot of character moments would be there like I'd love to see more Van Sant absolutely scrambling to get his revenge and <laughs> yeah. then I'd love to see him scrambling to escape you know whereas you don't really yeah. get that you get him over the phone you don't really get an idea or more of John Voight's character Nate the sleaziest man alive by the way I still can't yeah. believe that John Voight is Angelina Jolie's father yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how does he make such look. a pretty girl like it just makes yeah. no sense but um I just think again like maybe to, to be honest in a way I, I love the film anyway so maybe it's just I wanted more of it I think that film could have been edited down to 90 minutes and it would have been an amazing action film just action crime yeah but that is literally taking away as many character moments you want to strip it away and just have pretty much the heist at the beginning heist at the end and you're talking that's that's pretty much the film yeah. or they could have said let's make it into a 6 hour 7 hour epic TV show and I think it would have been absolutely I, I would watch it like if, yeah, if yeah, HBO I, turned around today and said we're going to do this well, it's funny you like... should say that because Michael Mann is developing a prequel or a film he's not sure it depends on whether or not the form suits it he's doing he's going to develop a prequel to he and it could be a TV show so we may end up seeing exactly what he wanted with that yeah. and he worked in TV because he, he was uh, wrote Miami Vice and I think mm, he wrote for Star right, yeah. Yeah. but Michael Mann I think nominative of determinism if ever there was one he makes manly films like he is Michael Mann but he said he always enjoys watching people do something that they're really good at that's what intrigues him most and he likes that's why he loves the procedural procedural element of it so seeing Al Pacino the best detective that there is watching him work and be as good as he is watching Macaulay work as a criminal and be as good as he is he loves that I think he loves to see people just being great at something and saying watch this person be great watch this person be great because I think he said anyone who's who's extraordinary at something will eventually find themselves in extraordinary situations purely because they're so good at something Mm. and he really does play that up I think I think that's when people say oh it's a bit unrealistic with the big shoot at the end or close to the end with the, the machine guns but these are navy pretty much navy seal trained people that can do it. like he, mm-hmm. and as well like it's even moments where he um the mozambique drill i don't know if you know what that is it's when they they really? double tap in the chest in the sternum and then shoot in the head for the confirmation uh, just to be sure which just to be sure and that was in he kept that in in collateral because he loves yeah. the idea of people like highly trained people this is what they do and he said well why would they change that why would that change because even if it is nine ten years later it's it still still works it's still efficient and he said he wanted um like val kilmer really got into it like for example when he's he shoots both directions reloads everything they showed that in training videos for people in the marines Marines, because he was so proficient at it that's what michael mann expects is a proficiency and i just think um as a character piece for kind of a lot of different type of characters I don't think it works I think as I think as he said as a character piece on both sides of a coin it works exceptionally well because people call it a sprawling, a sprawling crime epic and it is in a way but really the, the focus is on two men there's two massive uh, heists but we don't care when really anyone gets killed I care that yeah. Val Kilmer gets shot because I just think Val Kilmer's cool but mm. that's all I have to go on he's cool it's funny it's like <clears throat> um, I think if you're looking at it from a a critical point of view so you're analyzing it it makes sense in that this was meant to be a tv show and everything kind of a lot of things get kind of left by the wayside 
um, I think that um, if you look at the actual dynamic of the characters, like how I filled that gap in when I started, when I became a fan of this film, how I filled that gap in for me your was, head, that, yeah. was in my head, and it, it just made sense to me that you had the this this amazing policeman and this amazing criminal, and they had very specific goals, and they didn't really give a fuck about who they left in the wake, and that they left they they damaged people in the wake, and that's maybe how I filled it in it was like mm. there's a lot of chaos with these kind of secondary and tertiary actors and the people died and people relationships ex- exploded and there were tears and there was arguments and that was how I filled it in it was just Vincent Hannah and um, Neil yeah, McCauley just thundering through this this kind of storyline and then everyone else was just, just broken or left in the way but that's why do you know that's one thing I think that's why I think De Niro is so good in this because he is cool. He's a badass. He is a lone wolf. But he constantly shows these moments where you think he's not quite like Pacino. I think Pacino does kind of leave him. He does care. But at the same time, his his ultimate goal is to be a detective, be the man. Like, he plays up to that. Because I, I know some people think Pacino is over top in this film. But I think the only... Look at the... If you watch that film back, for anyone listening, if you watch back and you think he's over the top, watch it now again. And the only time he goes over the top is when he's in detective mode. Or when he's trying to big big himself up, pretty much. So when he goes into the club and he's talking to Richard, that's when he says, "Well, I'm Donald Duck. Call me Donald." All this, and then when he's talking about, she's got a great act. Like that's when he's trying to intimidate um, Hank Azaria. He net, but when he's with um, Natalie Portman, he doesn't put it on. He's with his wife, he doesn't put it on. Anything like that. It's only when he has to become this person, and that's why there's kind of this element where he wants to kind of be that person. And I don't think he minds because if he's losing three marriages and people are dying around him. Ultimately, he wants he's the single minded one. Whereas I actually think Neil, even though he likes to portray himself as this, he tries to get Michael out. He says, No, Michael, look, you've got loads of real estate, you've made your money, I think you should sit this for now. Yeah. And he says, I'm look, I'm here for the rush, not really for the money anymore. And he, he didn't stop him, but at the same time, he said, Stop, you, should, you shouldn't go with this one. He kills um, Danny Trejo's character. Not because he's angry, because he mercy. asks him. Yeah, yeah. it's a mercy. Yeah, and um, Val Kilmer again. Chris, he lets him stay with him. He saves him. He goes to his wife and says, "You go, give him another chance." And then what's he say? He doesn't say, "We're once you're finished with him, I'm finished." He says, "I'll set you up. I'll make sure." That's yeah, a promise. He'll bankroll her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think he does set you up. And I think I just think that's what's interesting about Robert. But I think it's only his little, those little moments that you get to get an idea of. And I just like to see the only thing I my my only kind of thing would be I'd love to see how the characters react to him like why does Dennis mm. Hayward have such um, loyalty towards Robert De Niro why does he say I am dropping because his wife seemed great Dennis Hayward's wife was like yeah, she picking him up and was yeah. like I'm really proud of you and he seems like he really wants to make a change and I've, I'd love to know what did Neil McCauley do for you that you can say yeah I'll drop everything just for you yeah. including my wife including yeah, all of these yeah. good things it's interesting as well that you mentioned that he, he doesn't he, he's not really out to kill people as well because mm. uh, even uh, what's the guy's name shoots the the guard in the oh, beginning Wenger uh, yeah. he's uh, actually the true villain of the film yeah, I think right so he like they meet him in the cafe after. well they all get together in the cafe afterwards and you know he's like kind of he's annoyed that he shot somebody when he didn't have to mm. when they're only there for the money like they just want to get that and get the hell out of there like draw as little attention as possible and he takes him outside and he's gonna you, well you assume he's gonna shoot him but then your man gets away. But he, the only reason he's getting rid of him is because he put the entire group in jeopardy. Yeah. 
Because he wants to protect his friends. Exactly. Yeah, and he even he actually if when he there's a certain I think there's a certain ability to his character because at the end he actually he has the choice to escape or to take one final detour to just put put two bullets in Wayne Grow and like he actually puts himself at massive risk to go to that hotel where he's yeah because of the impact it's had on Michael uh, yeah. Chris himself obviously and Danny Trejo's character yeah but the t- difference is Robert De Niro. Besides, even without Edie, I feel like he actually did. He would have kept his promise. You need to better drop everything in 30 seconds. Robert De Niro could do that, but his whole thing was those connections that were made, that they made, that's what's been broken because they were killed. Or be, but because, directly because of Van Zandt and directly because of yeah. Wayne Grove, they were compromised. And I loved that. And that, again, that shows the kind of protective streak. And it's weird because he is such a cold-hearted badass, but at the same time, like I do think he has a lot more of a heart than you, you initially think. You would anyway. assume, yeah. yeah. So, like, we talked a little, little, a lot about the cast and a little bit about direction. So, in terms of direction, when you watch Heat, or when you think about Heat, what is the biggest standout moment you can think of? Heists. It's just... I, I, loved, yeah. I do love the, the diner scene, but the heists, I mean, come on, the hockey masks, the M16 rifle. I love the, the bank one again. And even within that, he gets to have those character moments. He has um, uh, Neil saying... He punches him in the nose because he won't give him the key. Yeah. And he says, keep your nose up so, so it doesn't bleed. <laughs> and he tells people, anyone heart problems or who's who's nervous, keep your backs against the wall with your and your head down. Yeah. Like, he genuinely yeah, he says, we're not here for your money. Yeah. We're here it for... It is insured by yeah. the federal government <laughs> yeah. with a yeah. massive gun in hand. And I think... And then you see Wayne Grow who just freaks out. And, you, and it's funny because you can see everyone looks to Neil for the leadership because I think it's it's Chris who looks back when there's a, the third guard left. He's clearly not going to shoot, but Robert De Niro, or sorry, Neil, gives him the nod, like, kill him because he's the last yeah, witness now. Yeah, you've or already killed in him, or, yeah. fucking two. So. What about you? What's your standout moment? I think, yeah, the, the, sec, well, the, the main heist is definitely the most standout thing about it. I think probably for most people who ever see the film or don't even see the film and just hear about it, like, that is the, like the, the main kind of big scene other than Robert De Niro and, and the Neil and Hannah's showdown yeah just because it's so well orchestrated orchestrated yeah, yeah it's it's brilliant like uh, it, it takes place so quickly but it, it feels like I think it's only about five minutes long the actual from start to finish mm. I love the way the only reason it fucks up as well isn't because because of them because that was flawless that was flawlessly executed it's because Wayne Grove yeah the un, the unknown yeah. element the guy right. that just Vance Sant and Vance yeah. Sant then yeah. that's that's how it happened then it was Henry Rollins who went and said this is happening because yeah. he thought that was again Vance Santa this will kill them finally but yeah. they're pros exactly like they were very meticulous they they were well trained they were well drilled they they knew what they were doing and even when they were faced with that amount of police kind of activity they didn't lose their cool they they kept pushing forward they didn't they obviously they took cover behind cars and stuff but they kept moving they kept trying to progress and yeah like push the police back when there was only what like four or five of them or no yeah. they there was yeah. there was only three three of the three series because dennis yeah. gets uh, dennis hayward um i can't remember his oh, character. he yeah, gets he, shot yeah, very early shot. on but dennis was the three of them pretty much and michael is kind of the one who runs yeah. alone and yeah whatever but, but like i agree i think just so well orchestrated but it just plays into the whole Michael Mann aesthetic plays into the whole aesthetic of this film and how they should be and the look of the hockey mask as well in the mm. first one like he just the it's first heist everything is just the heist the, the the bank heist is phenomenal like it for me it isn't the one the scene that springs to my when I first saw the film for the first couple of times the heist the bank heist where it spills out into the streets it's just 
chaotic. I don't know how they... I still am in awe of how they managed to film that. I know they hit microphones all around to get the authentic gun noises, Mm -hmm. but, like, for me, nowadays, I think of it more as the last scene. I think it was the final scene where De Niro's been shot and um, Pacino's kind of standing over him and I think they shake hands. He he holds his hand. He holds his hand, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, Pacino sort of... they're almost crying. Like Pacino's almost. Pacino, yeah, crying. he goes, he wells up, he looks and he, away. He, he looks up, and then that music kind of rises to this crescendo. Um, and I, 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 that is that's my favorite directed scene in Heat mm. because for a brief moment they're not who they're meant to be, and they're just two people. And he, their their purpose is is lifted off their shoulders, and they're just a, again a couple of guys like in the cafe scene. Um, Vincent's lost his quarry he's lost the person that kind of keeps his purpose alive um and it's just you could put you can apply so many elements of of interpretation to that scene but and which is why i really love it um and it's very similar to collateral which is a michael mann movie and everyone says oh that the club scene is great in collateral where um tom cruise is like taking down all the bouncers to get to his target but there's a very similar scene where they're in a cab. Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise are in a cab. And like the, everything's kind of crazy. And then um, they just stop at, at an intersection. And uh, Fox just walks yeah. across the road. And it just completely removes their purpose. They're, they're, it's not a hitman cabby situation. It's just two guys watching this really unique kind of scene. And the music again there. So that, that for me, for Heat, mm-hmm. is the last scene. Where Macaulay and Hannah are kind of saying their goodbyes, I guess. Well, what about um, obviously we have gushed over the the cast and and how well kind of uh, put together it was and the, like some great choreography with the the high scenes and like the, the the tone of the movie I suppose and some of the set pieces. But what do you what do you think could be taken out like completely? Like you were saying, like you could probably cut it down to an hour and a half. You could. I, guess, uh, I mean, or... I think as literally a straight up action film, you're talking like. Point Break style, Catch and Breathe, James Carm. You know that type of action where it's bam, 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 bam. It could have been cut down to an hour and a half. Me personally, I could have added more. So, but it depends on really what you what you want well, as as a movie, right? Because we're we're like we're trying to determine like you know do we think that this should be on the the list of movies you should watch before you die? So like it would make a great TV show if you expanded on True. it. True. I still you you know what you're kind of right now because now I'm kind of talking myself in this corner where you're saying what would I take <laughs> out, whereas I'm saying well I'd add it and make a TV show, but that's not thousand yeah. one movies. That's thousand one TV shows. It's yeah. a completely different <laughs> argument. Um. So I suppose I still think it works with the messy elements because they are messy it is like to have this lack of character motives or progression or even development whatsoever in any in a lot of supporting characters does kind of make it a little bit weaker when these moments happen so like when Natalie Portman slits her wrist it's not as big a deal when Dennis Hayward dies it's not as big a deal when Michael dies it's not as big a deal but then I suppose if you're going to look at again let's look at the final scene doesn't have any of those characters and then none of those characters involved it is about these two men diametrically opposed but fundamentally similar I think that's I think that works and they still include that and they still have that moment where in any other life these could have been best friends and could have been partners could have been partners as police they could have been partners as criminals if they if they were if they were two cops partners they would be unstoppable if they were two criminals together they would be unstoppable Mm -hmm. there's there's Mm. the effectiveness and they both kind of know that because it's even um, Edie says to Neil he's like oh do you ever get lonely? He says, I'm alone. I don't get lonely. Whereas at the end of that film, he felt alone 
and that's why he said he put his hands out because he wanted that connection he didn't want to be alone when he died he didn't want to and that's I love that like again I just think these moments are all small and I think the reason I can overlook a lot of these elements is because the character performances and the character progression of the main character is so good and so on point that you can you have some kind of understanding like so I can have my own interpretations now I think if they didn't have certain small moments or certain ways of saying something or how they look at someone like with De Niro does the way he looks at his friends with their their partners or when Al Pacino talks to Natalie Portman's character or whatever I think without their performances or without those little moments then I would be kind of saying why like why did this happen why didn't we know more about him but because of that because they were so good and I felt like just their expressions the way they viewed people the way they spoke to people that was enough for me what about you James would Um, you cut stuff out I would there's some that I would cut out um Firstly, the first thing I will cut out is a lot of the relationship stuff between Pacino and um, I genuinely can't remember the name of his. Justine. Justine, yes. Um, I don't think it was necessary, necessarily necessary to have like so much about that relationship. I think you could quite easily get that he is stuck in his work. He has that one goal and he's just trying to play the the dad of the family kind of thing 100% remove that bed, bedroom scene at the beginning <laughs> pretty much any scenes where he like, has to be in any way that has that towards another human being it has honestly haunted me for many years that I've seen <laughs> but there's, there's a lot there like I think it kind of dragged a bit in some of those scenes and there was there was one scene as well between the two of them where Justine says that she gives him this speech this like monologue about who he is and she's like you don't live with me you just pass through this relationship I'm paraphrasing pass through this relationship you sift through the detritus and all this stuff and I'm like that's not a conversation you have with with a, no. with a boyfriend or girlfriend no matter like or husband or wife no matter like how unfamiliar how like uncomfortable your relationship currently is you don't that's a weird speech to give and I don't need to know that to know that that's Al Pacino's character so I would strip away a little bit of that like I think the I actually think the Macaulay stuff could stay in because it's very underplayed like in terms of how he interacts Mm. so I think the relationship stuff could be a bit leaner but other than that like I think a lot of the, the most of the rest of it needs to stay in because otherwise it's widening that gap of you having to fill in I had the same issue with Prometheus where there were these massive gaps because they tried to streamline parts of it so much where you had to like almost write parts of the script in your head yourself so with Heat I think a lot of these kind of mini moments with kind of the secondary and tertiary characters shouldn't be removed because you, you they're fundamentally needed and I think if you move if you were to remove some of the stuff around Al Pacino's relationship out of it that's a good few minutes you could have put into why does Macaulay have this level of relationship with Val Kilmer mm. or like why is Val Kilmer's relationship See, so fucked I agree, I agree <laughs> to an extent but I almost think as I said at the start I know for a fact like one of the big complaints people have about it is that it is a bit unwieldy it is a bit clunky and because of this but almost I think that adds to it because uh, Macaulay's right he said connections are what kind of slows you down and he said jeans a bit drop every 30 seconds so the fact that they are a bit messy and a bit stupid and a bit like why the hell is that it adds to it it adds to it it's like yeah, imagine if Al Pacino didn't have this wife. Imagine if Al Pacino didn't have a depressed stepdaughter. He would be the best cop going. Like he would be unbelievable. And that's the thing. Like, and he kind of knows it too. Pacino knows, or sorry, Hannah knows it. Macaulay definitely knows, and that's why he's afraid to kind of get involved. And when he does, 
it almost kind of does hurt him in a way. Yeah, it does feel like both as characters, both of them are just a bit tired with what they're doing and they're trying something new. Mm. Like Pacino is trying the family life. Um, De Niro is trying some any form of social interaction, <laughs> uh, preferably with this um, Lady Edie kind of thing. And, and yeah, I think it adds to that, cl- not the clunkiness, but like they're just trying normal things to mm. see if they can not be who they're meant to be. Yeah. There's only three female characters in this film as well. How would you think they're portrayed? Pretty fucking weak, to be honest. Like <laughs> I actually the, think weak is the perfect word for Edie. Yeah, she is so meek as well. She's, mm. she's got no yeah. like. And I feel no like, but and like, what what annoys me is about that is I feel like the initial attraction that um, Macaulay has to Edie's character is that she's she's very forthright. She says, "What are you reading?" And she leans over and says, "Oh, you're reading about thing. Yeah. What do you do?" And he's never had someone be like that forceful with him. And I always thought, oh, that's probably like when I first watched it, I was like, well, I can see why he sees in her now. She's forceful. She's almost like him. He's like, I want this. Is what I want. I want to talk to you. Take her, leave it. That's it. That's what I thought. And then kind of towards the end, she's like, you've killed these people. And she's like, can I leave? And he's but like, this is this Go. is after he's chased her down. Yeah. yeah. Like, and there's that. It's so another awkward. Yeah. Hug. Really awkward. Yeah. He like tackles her, and they're on like this hill, just, and he just wraps himself. Up. A, like she she says to him, "Can I leave?" And he says, "There's the door." And she she ends up staying down, and she the next thing you see them during the car together, yeah. and kind of like, oh, so she's she's. Golden. Doesn't she even say, "Can I leave later?" Yeah, can I leave later? Yeah. And then she doesn't anyway, so it's like. It's weird. Like, like uh, I feel like if she said, "I know what you are, but I know who you are," blah blah blah, then I would have been like, "Yeah, fair enough." I have a lot more respect for. Her. But then it's like she doesn't even seem to know what she wants, you know? And just yeah, just a drift. She's just kind of. I think she's too passive, and I do like I. I know when she took the role, she said that she wasn't really interested. She said it was just gonna be. She said it'd be another story about men and their guns, mm-hmm. and I actually think it's it's not a story about men and their guns, but I do think it's a story about men. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I feel sorry. A lot of the relationship stuff is just shoehorned in, like mm. to appease somebody. Like I, th- I think Natalie Portman's character, the the kid, is totally unnecessary. That's, yeah, that's like, really awkward. She just annoyed me. Like I love Natalie Portman; she's a great actress. But that character in was useless. Well, we were barrettes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I really want to know what happened to those. Like, I actually quite like Justine though. I thought she was like, I think she was. She was a stronger character than Edie. She took less shit, mm. and but, she was aware of but, Al Pacino. Yeah, that's like, right. Uh, Hannah, how he acted. Mm. But one thing annoyed me was she kept saying like he always had to get out of jail. By the way, it was like he did, I made dinner. He didn't come home. I was like, sorry, I had two dead bodies on Vincenzo Boulevard. Yeah. So I don't care about cold drumsticks. <laughs> it's just it's like, all right. And then the other time she gives it, he's like, sorry, there was a junkie microwave in her baby. You're like, is that his get out of jail yeah. every time? Yeah. It's just like... I would be like, oh, I'm really sorry. Some shit came up at work. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll try harder. I wouldn't be like, I'm baby microwave. <laughs> yeah. it's, gra- it's, it's, it's good though. It's like, I broke up a dog fighting ring today. It's what I'm not going to be home. It's yeah. just like, you can do I whatever you want. I saved a baby from a burning yeah. building or like, I yeah. just stopped a terrorist attack. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. It's almost like Michael Myers just doesn't know how to write relationships yeah because yeah that's a good point actually yeah. like I, I don't think it, yeah, I get why he wanted to do it like obviously you want that character development you want to understand why Al Pacino is like so highly strung and why his wife is giving him shit and then he's away from home all the time and like Robert De Niro has difficulty with close relationships with females because he doesn't have an issue with his, his you know male what? friends because he's really close to them so but you know what is funny in um Last Night with Eakins, he does get relationships very right. Like, I think that's a really good film as well. Mm. Um, Dan Daly's film. But he gets the relationship right there. You can actually feel 
Like sparks, you can yeah. feel that. Mm-hmm. But he even does it with the, in, in that film with the um, the the other. You know, like it's um, what's the name of the main theme, main actress in that? It's is it anyway? Like there's there's the secondary main female yeah. kind of role there and she is she's with this younger kind of uh, Mohican and there's no real communication there but there's an attraction yeah. and it's like a and bond and you can feel it though yeah and like and that that's really well done like I there's no exposition there it's just mm. them and you, you get it um, but maybe it's because of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro yeah, maybe that's, that's why yeah. it's not possible because mm. to be fair you do feel some kind of attraction between um, Chris and his wife um, Ashley Judd's character um, Charlene. Charlene, Charlene, yes. Yeah. Um, so there is some kind of attraction, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's just because these these two actors can actually play attracted to these people. Yeah. You know, yeah. so um, you could be right there. Where how, how would you even, like, in this scene, you're setting the scene up and it's like, okay, so t- t- today's shoot, we need to have Justine and Hannah in bed together. Try not look, Try not to look like, too repulsed. Yeah, here. and you're, like, briefing the two of them and you're like, okay, so this is how the scene's going to play out. Here's, here's where the camera is. Um, Al... I want you to do it like this just, and, and like take it from there. It's it's just, I can't fathom how you would get or direct yeah. Al Pacino. Can I, I, I keep the chain? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just Al Pacino. Like, I, I, I honestly believe that he would be like that in real life if, if you, you were to see Pacino? a sex video of Al Pacino. <laughs> he, got a lot of, he did actually do a lot of improv, so that's probably yeah. the closest you were. Like, that is some kind of approximation of what Al Pacino thinks he would be like as a cop. Yeah. So, do you know what one thing I will say? Like, obviously, I think I'm probably the biggest admirer of some, but one thing I thought was pretty bad was the score. I just felt it was very dated. Even for the 90s, it was dated. And I felt it was very 80s almost. I kind of thought, this this doesn't really fit with what I'm watching here. What where's what do you think of the score? Uh, I don't know if it, if I didn't it made an impact. Notice to be honest, I, I I actually could not pick out one point in that film where I noticed the, the music. I, I just it's felt right it past it. It's an ambient. Yeah. Other track, than the, actually like... the the final scene. The, oh yeah, that's the Moby. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah I don't know what the name of the song kind of, was. There's kind of there's kind of there's certain elements where I. There's kind of like soft, it's like softcore porn music in certain scenes. With the twangs of the guitar. Yeah, and I just thought, this doesn't work. Because it, just for me, it's it's the, one of the coolest films you can see. One of the quintessential 90s cool. cool. Yeah. And then this, this score just kind of, for me, brings it down. Because it's like, oh, it's a bit cheesy. Like, it's an ambient, like, it's, it's it's a hugely ambient soundtrack. Apart from the end, which where it's actually used as a device yeah. for that scene where, like, you know, like the... the Bro, bro shaking yeah, kind of thing kind of and it rises yeah, up yeah crescendo but probably. like the rest of it it's like this passive sort of like it's almost like elevator music in the background like mm. kind of thing but and a real like sleazy motel elevator you know that's the story <laughs> I see you know like okay some yeah. of the buttons are broken I'm gonna catch herpes parts of this button but you know <laughs> I need to get to my room number 58 <laughs> but um yeah I know what you mean yeah there's one part in it where um Pacino uh, kind of takes a helicopter and like they find Macaulay's car and like he jumps into his own car and like there's that kind of pseudo pursuit just before they hit the cafe scene and like there's this kind of rock music and it's like where does that come from yeah. like this isn't a, this isn't a high speed chase yeah. this is just him following him on a highway and he's going to pull him over in a couple of minutes because he's just catching up yeah. it's like let's go have a coffee yeah <laughs> but th- that was actually like, I mentioned Collateral before but very similar in Collateral like the the music seems really out of place like it's 
but that's a that's a podcast for another day because mm. I actually mm. think that's on the list. So. But it, again, maybe it's, like I said with um, Michael Mann, it's this certain attention to detail where suddenly these things kind of blur in the background, mm. kind of like how they do for uh, Neil and Vincent. The details kind of. The details that they want to know are the police details, the procedural details, the, the heist, everything about that. That's the details they want. Everything else kind of blurs into the background for them. And maybe that's what it is with Michael Mann. He's like, this is the story I'm telling. It's two men. One is a, one is a career criminal. One is a career, like their career is uh, police work. And that's what it's about. And it's how they collide. And that's because I know he actually, ret- he pretty much retrofitted the, the film. He had an ending in mind and two characters in mind. And he said, how did it get to this point? Mm. That's how he kind of rolled it. It's also his second pass of the film as well, isn't it? Because he did LA Takedown, mm. which was prior to that. And that kind of like, so he, this is like, it's not unfamiliar territory for him. It's relatively a very similar film. Like it's, it's essentially the same film, but remade with some very specific High actors. caliber yeah. actors, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like if he, if this HBO or this TV show or this, whatever he's making next is, is this potentially be the third part of yeah. the film so maybe you'll get it like, I, I know, I'm not sure I can't, they're not sure if it's going to be a prequel or kind of a sequel but oh, okay. the, the talk's a prequel so we'll see I, I now am very excited to see just because I think something like this could have worked yeah. so well as a six hour seven hour film or TV show so I suppose ultimately then the question is does it belong on the list Craig so probably controversially uh, for me I don't think it does because I've, I've seen it like I've seen it a good few times over the years, and I think every time I watch it now, it gets it gets worse for me. Oh, whereas like uh, for most of the films, do you think it's aging it, well? Then no, or uh, probably not. No, like I I wrote a note last uh, last night when I was watching it that it took an hour and forty two minutes for something like major. Yeah, something major to actually grab my attention, where I was like, oh shit's happening now. And like at that point, most films are like nearly over <laughs> or finished. <laughs> like, and I don't mind watching long films uh, as You'd long as they. You'd be watching um, the the final dance off in Guardians of the Galaxy by that point in time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I would have been yeah at the end of my popcorn. I would have been really happy. But uh, for this, no. Like I get the hype around it when it came out. I totally would have. Well, I did buy into like the Robert De Niro and Al Pacino uh, like first Beat time on screen enough. together, but I don't think that's enough now to carry a film. I think totally what you were saying, cutting down a lot of the character moments, and I would go even further and say I would take out a lot of those tertiary characters. Like I would take out most of the relationships with the the wife, uh, the, uh, the stepdaughter, and the Edie, Edie as well, because I don't even think they're needed. I think you could still tell that same story for the most part without those those people being involved. And uh, you could just make it a pure action, start to finish, and still expand on some of the the, the characteristics between Vincent, Vincent and, and, Ju- and or Justin and Neil. Neil. Um, <laughs> like it's a good movie, but it's for, it just drags on for me. It it could be two hours, like max. Take an hour of crap out. It's I'd say if anybody's listened, they're probably not going to agree with me. But I just I, I don't have I don't want to go and watch this film again anytime soon, and I probably won't watch it anytime within the next 10 years unless it just happens to be on TV Jesus um, because <laughs> hardcore it, uh, yeah I, I don't hate it like that's the thing I, it's you're kind of nothing yeah it's, I don't if this was one of the things you had to drop in 30 seconds of your life you would exactly should yeah. you spot the heat yeah. around the corner yeah I would be like screw you heat and throw that blue right away there could be some <laughs> internet heat around the corner for even if they don't listen now they could be listening months from now and someone be like god damn you Craig what about you James where do you fall um, I, I actually don't think it should be on the list oh. 
I didn't I see that coming. I know, I know. So, I actually kind of, I think if I'd have, if we had done this podcast in, before the year, in like, 95, in 95, like yeah. between 95 and I'd say 2000, I'd say if we had that, within five years after it came out, hands down, 100%, this film would have been on the list. But I think after watching it again recently and thinking about it analytically, for me, the reason why I would have said that back in my 1995 persona would have been because of things like the the, the eye candy parts, like the, the shootout, Al Pacino and goddamn Robert De Niro in a freaking film together. Never would have picked up on those horrendously awkward front <laughs> scenes. I'm sorry, I can't get over them. I have to keep talking about them. It's like some sort of habit is in my mind. And I, I wouldn't have kind of picked up on some of the kind of stretched out parts with some of the characters, some of the gaps you have to fill in. Like, I love this film, and I definitely... It's on my favourite films of all time, for sure. And I would happily watch it as a comfort film, but I don't think it's necessarily something that you'd you'd have to watch before you die. I think, I think we just... I think, just I think we kind of know what Gavin... <laughs> I will fight you, too. <laughs> well, I want to... I'll address certain things. I think... <laughs> I think the relationship has to be work, has to be worked into because it shows. I and I'll get, go back to it. These are the messy elements of someone's lives. The reason they're awkward, the reason they're messy, is because they are awkward and messy. That's what they are in these men's lives. I think the 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 character moments. I do think you're right. I'd love the expansion of, but like I said, I'd actually make this film an hour yeah. longer if I could. But I think Pacino and De Niro, with their performances, were able to fill in those gaps, at least partially for us, for us to go and do it. And I think that, that it's a rewarding watch because then I, even if I have to fill in the gaps, I don't think I have to stretch too far to fill in those gaps. I think with Prometheus, I think it asks big questions and at least big gaps. I think it's what the point is, at least it asks those big questions. And I'm saying with something like this, has these big gaps or these mo- these moments, but at least they're filled in with little moments, and those little moments can inform those big moments, mm. and that's what I love about it. And I think if you like the town, if you like Dark Knight, if you like Christopher Nolan, if you like kind of films pretty much from the nineties or onwards where they have these action set pieces, Heat is that film. Dark Knight, the first scene, doesn't exist without Heat. In fact, I don't true. think yeah. I don't think the Dark Knight exists without Heat. It's about two diametrically opposed people from the same side of the coin, with someone in between two face. Yeah. He literally, mm-hmm. if you if you're like you need to see. I like I said, I think you have your your criticisms are fair, but I think I think I can fill in those gaps fine. And I think why it's actually its legacy it's created is so great it can't be underestimated. Like if yeah. you if you, the Dark Knight for example is on this list, so if I'm saying right, why why would I take heat off when that's the main influence on yeah. the Dark Knight? So the only uh, I agree with. It's on, not on the list. The way you're saying. Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I think the Dark Knight is on the list. No, no, I mean Heat's not on the list because yeah. obviously it's oh. two on one. But no, yeah. we, can, we can do. Two no, we can, we, can, we can disagree. It's fine. Definitely the Dark Knight. That scene wouldn't exist without Heat. But I still think you could have that scene in Heat and still transplant it into the Dark Knight, and it Fair could still point. be as relevant. Point. Yeah. So what we're saying, for all intents and purposes, is that Heat is basically like cinematic Marmite. Yeah. So you either love it. Or you hate it. Mm. <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't hate it. That's the thing. I, there's, I think there's part you hate about it and yeah. the part you love about it. That's the, I think. And it, what's yeah. that crazy is this kind of, um, like, just, like almost like meh. Yeah, it's the know? way it's put together. It's, yeah, it feels like yeah. this amazing movie that kind of, or like amazing sculpture that's like maybe missing a bit or it's not polished in, mm. in part, 
it's you can appreciate it for its beauty in a way it's put together see, but it's like I go see Venus de Milo I still think it's amazing yeah. it may not have arms but I love it yeah. I think the main thing for me in here is that it's too long for one movie uh, or sorry it's it's too long for what it's trying to achieve in one movie but it's too short for what it could be as Whoa. several movies or a TV show fair so. point I, I take your points on board completely because it's something I felt myself but I love it I love I don't. I don't think people particularly like filling the blanks. Sometimes I, but I enjoyed filling in my own blanks there. So, mm. see, like that's the thing. I I do too. I I actually liked Prometheus, which I'm sure we'll do a podcast at some point because like I could connect things in my mind. But people hated that. <laughs> so I get what you're saying. Like it's it's. I think a lot of it's like for me. I was very. I'm very. I was very close to saying yes to Heat to being on this before you die list a worthy entry kind of thing but just just a couple of things like if i'm if i'm looking at how we're rating the other films and how we've talked about the other films i think for me this i can't justifiably say yes based on the critic criticisms i've had of others kind of thing so yeah see i get that but again i like i think one of the reasons we didn't put six cents on it and i i agreed i think it didn't change enough it didn't change the game i think this changed so I do think it changed to them. I think it had a certain approach. I had this now. I too. I know it's very procedural. I know some people don't like it. it can be come across a bit cold. I know that's one criticism. Michael Mann gets leveled at. Like I know Miami Vice is particularly was said. This is a cold uh, piece of filmmaking. I happen to love Miami Vice. <laughs> so yeah. I think um, again. I think I'm just a Michael Mann fanboy. A man boy. That's called. Man it? Boy. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's a whole other thing. I'm sure there's an Urban Dictionary entry for that uh, actually. But uh, I loved it. It's not on the list, but I'll say this. I'm going to drop you two now in the next 30 seconds. Because <laughs> you spotted it around the corner. Okay, uh, if you hear a window smashing, you have left the room. Well, that's point out. You think it should be on the list. I, I don't. James doesn't. And then the people listening can form their own opinion. And hopefully we'll give uh, us some comments. Let yeah. us know. I'm sure they'll agree with me. But we'll see. <laughs> So that was like probably the most controversial one we've done so far. I thought the I thought our first controversial one was going to be the Sixth Sense. But then everyone kind of agreed. It was like it's good. We kind of talked each other into but, agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This time that's good. Anyway, so like talking of uh, leaving comments and contacting us, where can we be found? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Before You Die Pod, uh, on Facebook by searching Before You Die Podcast, uh, on our website at Before You Die Podcast com, and also on iTunes where you can subscribe and get our RSS feed, and you can also check out Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Feedburner, Feedly, all those kind of things. Automatically get our episodes in your inbox or on your phone or whatever. And don't forget to. Review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes because it's a good way of getting the words, the word out about the about the podcast. So also helps yeah. us influence what films we're going to do next. Exactly. exactly. Speaking of James, what is it? We're going to be doing Cabin in the Woods, which was two thousand and twelve, um, a Joss Whedon movie, and we're going to be talking about that in our next one. I can't wait. I haven't seen it, so yeah. it's going to be I interesting. Have. Yeah, I've seen it. I'm going to watch it again tonight, actually, because I, I actually quite like this film. So, yeah. so same time next week, gentlemen. Same yeah. bad time. Same Let's wave the microphone. Bye. Bye. You've got a great ass. Donald Duck. <laughs> I can't find the pause button. <laughs>